0: This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 506, Comic Talk Spotlight on Iron Man by Kurt Busick and Sean Chen. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast, this is episode 506, I'm your host Adam Chapman. Today we're uh, doing a, a Comic Talk Spotlight, which we haven't done in a while, as we're uh, looking through the uh, Heroes Return version of Iron Man by Kurt Busick and Sean Chen. I'm joined by my uh, guest... Tim Riley. He's been on the show before in episode 500, a uh, former listener, now active participant in comic shenanigans. Um, so that'll be uh, coming up in just a moment. First, you can email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes. And you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for joining us. We have some great stuff coming up over the next few months, which I'll be announcing soon, uh, upcoming interviews, etc. We've got, uh, a lot of good content. I think you're really going to enjoy. So, thanks for joining us for Comic Shenanigans, and let's get right into the episode with Tim as we go and do a deep dive into Iron Man by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen. Tim, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you?
1: Um, doing well. Happy to be here. Ready to discuss some Iron Man.
0: So you got to join me for a, a, a full episode this time, not just a, not just a segment on episode 500.
1: Yeah, I get my own episode now. I can be I can be the star for a change. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, actually, although I should mention, you said that you, um, after listening to episode 500, actually bought the issue of Spectacular Spider-Man?
1: I did, I actually read it uh, a couple of days ago. And what'd you think? Uh, it was a really funny issue, uh, it was, uh, there's a lot of good jokes in there, and there's some stuff, um, like, uh, Dan mentioned, where it's interesting how they're trying to tell the story while trying to get Peter Parker a raise, and how it's influencing what they're saying, it, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's, it's kind of a cliche type thing, but it was entertaining. Absolutely. Well, it was I, worth the dollar I
0: paid. Oh, nice. Where'd you Where'd you pick it up?
1: That uh, is from Mile High Comics. I grabbed a bunch of random Spider-Man stuff at the same time.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yep.
0: All right, so we're going to talk some Iron Man. So specifically, we're talking the Hero's Return Iron Man, um, which is uh, I guess we both read it today or recently in the same format. The uh, Invincible Iron Man Omnibus by Kurt Buschik and Sean Chen, correct? Correct. That's what I've got. Well, although I did have to switch occasionally to digital unlimited because my copy, for whatever reason, has a few blank pages. Now, what pages were they? Because I was really interested in uh,
1: that. There's one. They're all early in the book. For example, there's a. What I'm at the very end of issue one, the second and third last pages are completely white. Really. Yeah, and then the first page or one of the first pages of issue two is blank, but.
0: That's terrible. What a weird printing defect. Especially in, yeah, like a, much, in a $100 book, right? Like, like a really expensive book, that's the last thing you want to have happen.
1: Yeah, it's it, it was frustrating. But the other hand, at least I didn't pay full price for it. Fair <laughs> it enough. Was a, it was one of those ones I grabbed and, you know, it was a liquidation sale, so I grabbed it pretty cheap there. But still, even if you're not paying full price, you would like it not to have link pages.
0: No, for sure. Now, when you picked it up, so you got it on a liquidation sale, so obviously that's part of the enticement is that it's, you know, it's relatively cheap. Um, What did you know about this book before buying it? Or was there anything that you knew?
1: Uh, I knew almost nothing about it. I'd read the first issue of the run maybe a decade ago and thought it was okay, but then never had a desire to continue on through it. I probably, this is, my wife would probably kill me for mentioning this, but I oftentimes buy books and then never get around to reading them. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't planning to do this, that probably would probably would have happened with this book. If it would have sat on my shelf, and I would think, oh, I should read that, and then it would never actually happen.
0: So basically, you should send me a list of the stuff sitting on your shelf, and we'll get you to read it by talking about it here.
1: I think that would take up the next 5,000 podcasts on your show.
0: <laughs> it's, it's just basically just become Tim's reading list?
1: <laughs> I mean... It, I'm just looking at the omnibuses on my shelf, and I have the first three amazing Spider-Man omnibuses sitting there, and I haven't read any three of them yet. Oh
0: my goodness, really?
1: So, nope. But not.
0: you've you've read those issues at some point. Please tell me.
1: I read some of them. But I've never sat down and read through
0: the omnibuses beginning to the end. Ah, uh, it's something special.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I got a, a hundred straight issues of Stanley Spider-Man to read. But in someday, in retirement, I guess, forty <laughs> years from now, I will read them
0: when those issues are almost like a hundred years old, yep. that's the time they're super fresh. So okay. what, what was your, so, I mean, so you'd read like, you know, an idle issue b- before. What about, I mean, it's kind of interesting because like your interpretation of Iron Man, I guess, who is your Iron Man? Is it kind of the Tony, the Robert Downey Jr. kind of era? Did you read any Iron Man before that? Like who is your Iron Man? So I didn't read any Iron Man until Matt Fraction
1: started his run. And then I read everything since then. So my Iron Man's completely the I guess the Fraction was very influenced by the first movie and they came out at the same time. So really all my Iron Man experience starts basically around the first movie, around the complex at that time.
0: Interesting. So this this must have been kind of jarring because he's he's kind of a different character.
1: He is really different. I kept thinking of him. he's just a lot more adult.
0: Yes, because they they play him up almost, I mean, almost like to a Deadpool degree of too much jokiness, you know, like he's, depending on who's writing him, but generally speaking, he's a lot more, uh, a lot more levity these days, whereas back in the day, he was a lot more, yeah, as you said, kind of an adult, serious character.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in this book here, he's a serious businessman, like he's not, Like he, there's humor in the book, there's women in the book, but he's not near, like you said, he's not a comedic character whatsoever, he's not. He himself does, is not played as a joke at all.
0: No, not at all. Now it's interesting. So, like you, when you read this, I mean, obviously you have a he had a sense of where he'd come from or what had happened after onslaught, and this was kind of the rebuilding of the character.
1: Yeah, so I knew that before Heroes Reborn, they had done the whole Teen Tony thing, and then they had um, Will Speratacio doing the heroes. Reborn, and then they came back and did this. But I had read very, very few of those comics, too. I I think I've read the first issue of the Heroes Reborn Iron Man, and
0: that's it. I have a very big soft spot in my heart for that, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that numerous times on the podcast before, that um, my first real interactions with Iron Man, uh, I had read one issue of the Hands of the Mandarin storyline and I think, 93, or maybe 94, one issue of the uh, Iron Man tie-in to the animated series, and that was it. And then my mom had was going to uh, a conference in, like, Portland or something, and she was, like, going to find a comic book store and bring me something back, and I don't even know if she, I had asked for anything, but she brought me, like, three issues of Iron Man back, and it was issues one, two, and three of Heroes Reborn, and I was like, oh, this is so cool, and then I couldn't find issues four and five, and it was I was kind of a newsstand kid still at the time, and uh, and then, you know, kind of picked up the rest of the issues during Heroes Reborn, and really, you know, came to enjoy the character, and then they were relaunching it, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm totally going to get this, and I got a lot of the, um, you know, the heroes return titles, but this was always the one that I really gravitated towards. And a big part of that was Sean Chen's artwork. And uh, looking through it, like it's still, it's still such a highlight of this book to me. Like he's such an amazing penciler, and he really sells me on Tony.
1: He does do a great job. There's one I gotta find which issues in. He draws this one panel where he's at the beach, and he kind of. Yeah, it's the opening of issue number four. um, And the big double page spread where he actually puts all. There's somebody, I guess they call it hang gliding or something like that along the water. Yeah. And he puts all the panels along the hang glide itself. And it's just a great looking piece of art.
0: Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That is gorgeous. It's such an interesting way of being able to integrate panels into a page, but in a way that's more artistic. Like that. Exactly. That that takes some real thought to do that, and like, I'm I'm curious if he was going off like probably not full script. This must have been like kind of Marvel style. Or I'm really curious because it's 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 late 90s. Like you weren't seeing as many full scripts at the time. So I'm curious uh, how much direction he had, and if this was just kind of a a production of his own.
1: So I tried to find some interviews with uh, Kurt Busiek about this run when um, after I read the book. And from what I could gather online, he did write all of this in the Marvel style. He said at the same time he was writing Astro City, doing full script on that, and on these Marvel books, he was still doing the old school plot first. Interesting. So but I, guess, I guess, too, that details can, you know, some there's a difference between, like, you know, the Stan Lee plot first versus you could do a highly detailed plot first. So I'm not sure how much he was given to Sean or not.
0: True. Now, um,. Now I should ask Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen before reading this, you know, this uh, book of theirs. Uh, how much of their work have you uh, read in the past or uh, seen in the past?
1: So I read all of his Thunderbolts. and I always thought that was really great. Hmm. I thought they meant. I mean, I think Fabian Nisi is fine, but I thought the book really suffered after Busiek left the book.
0: Really, I actually um, take the the contrary opinion.
1: Oh, you. Uh, so yeah, so he leaves around, what, around 34, 35, and Niciasa yeah. so
0: writes through 75, is that right? Yeah, I think well, for me what it was is that um, I think the, the my favorite part of that original Thunderbolts run was from, I guess, Fabian Niciasa's first issue to issue 50. Um, that stretch of time where you had the conspiracy plot line, you had Scourge, and you had this, you know, it, it just felt like there was a lot of good tension in the book, and the book had changed from being more more standard superheroics to something else was going on and i thought that was a really strong period for the book whereas i mean music stuff was amazing don't get me wrong i'm not saying it wasn't i'm saying there was something that was kind of notched up a, a bit when uh Nisiesa took over
1: yeah i guess it's probably just different preferences and i suppose um mm-hmm. i liked sort of what music was doing with it a little more traditional there and um I would still probably keep reading the Nicias apart, but they've never collected fifty-one through seventy-five.
0: So I know it's crazy. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was surprised when they actually started collecting all the Thunderbolts to begin with, because I was kind of like, "This is never going to happen." Then it did. Up to three volumes. I'm like, "Okay, well, where's the rest?" And then it took a few years, and then we got the the Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts, which I hate as a branding on my shelf. I wanted to just say Thunderbolts Classic Volume Four to Six, but whatever.
1: <laughs> I can't have yeah, those I, things. I don't see any – I don't know how they would brand those next 25 issues. I really don't – I haven't read them, but looking through the covers and all that and what I've read happens in there, I'm not quite sure there's good marketing pull from those books like
0: Hawkeye and the Thunderbolts. I'm not sure there's an equivalent there that will ever help it get released. Uh, not really. I mean, he's in it still. Like, he's still a, a character, and it's kind of a weird book too. Because, like, I remember when it was coming out, I kind of started to drift away just before it reached seventy-five because it was it was double shipping, and I was you know a university kid couldn't quite afford it. Um, but it was a unique version of double shipping because, I mean, you had two totally parallel story uh, sorry separate stories, and so every other issue got one of those stories. Um, very kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Like we've had Wonder Woman in the past year when Greg Rucker was writing it, was doing the same type of thing where you had two completely separate stories, separate even by time in this case, um, that had nothing to do with each other. So you could almost buy just every other issue and not miss anything.
1: Yeah, I remember him discussing that when you interviewed him on the podcast. Um, I have noticed too with those Wonder Woman books, they are collecting those Issues separately. They're collecting, like, you know, one, three, five, seven, nine. They're not collecting them in numerical order because of that big split.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure drives some people crazy. But I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it otherwise. But it, from a collector mentality, it's just weird to be like, well, where are the other issues?
1: Yeah, but I think it would drive people crazy five years from now to try to read that in numerical order because it'd be it'd be like jumping between two different movies every ten minutes uh.
0: absolutely well yeah, exactly and I think people picking up back issues in like five years will have that exact problem would be like I don't understand what's going on here this is the next issue why is it a totally different story
1: yeah they wouldn't have the context of someone like in an interview
0: that week telling them what's going on to just be confused <laughs> yeah so let's, let's let's dive into this iron man so this is as we said this is a more adult iron man he's coming out of heroes were born uh heroes were born era uh they're reestablishing who tony is uh tony's still alive because he was thought to be well, he was dead but they're basically going with the cover story that he was thought to be dead and back as well as iron man um this is back in a time when iron man's identity was still secret which seems so quaint now
1: I thought it was about that. I saw so today. It's so well accepted that Tony Stark is Iron Man, and everybody knows, and it's a big part of who he is. When I was reading those same music interviews, he he made the point that he thought it was very important that people didn't know he was Iron Man,
0: which is hard to look at now, right? Because like now, just as you said, it's it's so accepted because they've done so much with the character being Iron Man, and, and plus with the movies that it kind of almost makes silly to this idea that he wouldn't embrace it. But I guess it's also that they've changed Tony to be like the movies, where the movie Tony, you can't imagine he wouldn't celebrate the fact that he's Iron Man. Like, his ego his ego is too big for that.
1: Exactly. A less mature Tony would definitely advertise, Hey, I'm
0: Iron Man. Yeah, like, it's, it's this cool thing. Whereas, again, in, in this book, it's not necessarily the coolest thing in the world. In fact, there's a whole arc where... You know, he, he, he can't be Iron Man. He shouldn't be Iron Man. It's killing him, and he's going to do it anyway. Yeah. Like a very, very, again, like he's he's mature, but also still reckless, and so that, that that part of the Tony is still rings true.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. I like that. So on the one hand, it seems kind of silly, like, oh, Iron Man is my bodyguard, but at <laughs> least it does, it, it gives a good excuse to have Iron Man constantly show up wherever Tony Stark is.
0: Yes, absolutely. Like they they had to have a reason for him to always be there. Yeah. What I do like, um, this more stylistic thing is the um uh the narration boxes with like with very old school kind of computer text boxes of the time.
1: Mm-hmm. They have they do those and it's very, very late nineties computer y.
0: Yeah, like it's funny. And even like what the what we see on the kind of the, the the weapons screen or when Iron Man's actually kind of seeing it, it's so interesting because now we have a very because of the movies we have such a a very like we know what it looks like inside the armor, and this is back when we didn't, so we have very different looks of what he's seeing, and it's it's so, it's so different.
1: Yeah, in my head, I, I always imagine it in the, the Binda style, where he's sort of in an empty, dark room with all these different images in front of him, and that's how he's operating things. That's how it, if you asked me to picture what's like inside my head, that's what I'd picture in my head, so.
0: Now, do, this first issue does a lot of groundwork, kind of setting you up for the characters, his world. Um was any of it kind of like oh i don't know who these characters are i don't know what's going on with this this struggle with his company and what to do about it like did that put you off as kind of a newer newer reader to this material or how did you approach that
1: so i thought they did a really solid job explaining everything where everything's at who everything who everyone is it's one of those earlier style comics where when someone appears they make sure you know who they are what their name is what their motivations are that type of thing Um, because he covers a lot of ground in that first issue introduces a lot of characters has a lot of fights i thought it was a very very strong issue
0: Mm -hmm. i do like the uh the villains the death squad very late 90s yeah like like they're funny to look at because it kind of hits a lot of the boxes of what characters look like like you have the guy with all the guns um you you know the character who can fly who looks just like mach one basically like it just—it it was kind of interesting the, that they start off the first issue, and you don't have any recognizable villains. You just have this random collection of characters out to kill Tony. It's kind of an interesting decision to make—that to not make this the next Mandarin story, uh, or instead to build towards it, not to use any of his traditional rogues, but instead to actually introduce something new.
1: They do do a good job of that. Yeah, they bring in all these new people, but then at the end they still show you, here's Madam Mask, here's MODOK, mm-hmm. here's Mandate. Let you know all these guys are out there and they're coming, but there's other things going on as well.
0: One thing, again, we don't get much of anymore, especially with technology. Kind of Technology, as, as portrayed in the comics have, having evolved, is that we don't have the classic tropes as much of Tony having to make sure he has his briefcase with him and get his armor on. Like, that's not... Really, a trope we get to see in the comics as much anymore. You no, know, I'm
1: used to the extremist style. It's inside my bones. I think, and I have my armor on.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of weird to go back to an era where they they like to play that plot device when they can. But it also make, put make sense. Ah, sorry, um, has a sense of peril to it that you know there's the issue with the Spymaster's goons when you know his the first thing they do is take away his case, and you're like you're legitimately like holy shit. Now what? Like that's. What are you going to do without it? Whereas in modern comics, again, you have the Extremis armor, you have all this other bleeding edge tech. You never really worried that he's going to be armorless. Yet back then, it was very easy to do so. That's definitely
1: true. It does, it does create that sense of peril a lot more because if you take away his briefcase, he's just a guy, and you can beat him up. And they do that to him multiple times. Look, they just beat him up as Tony Stark. Mm-hmm.
0: Although we do get one in that issue, I do like. Um, you know, he's, he's remembering that Cap kind of trained him to, to fight people, but not top-level people.
1: Is there any way in the Marvel Universe that Cap hasn't trained to fight, apparently?
0: Uh, no, because I'm pretty sure he's also trained Mary Jane when she lived there, didn't she?
1: <laughs> I just like that's always the excuse in every comic. If you've ever walked through Avengers Mansion and somehow <laughs> Captain America has given you just enough training to hold your own.
0: True. Well, at least with Tony, I can buy it more than anyone.
1: Yeah, he has been around a lot. It makes sense that if you were going to be Iron Man, you'd want some sort of, you know, if you if you've been around these guys for long enough, you'd pick some stuff
0: up. Um, one shot from the first issue that has always bugged me though is that as Tony's putting on his armor and he has that full shot of him coming out, I don't know why Chen has this weird thing in the mask that makes him look like he's the Phantom of the Opera, like 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 there's this this line that cuts through the middle of the mask that almost makes it look like it's two pieces.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see any sort of shadow or lighting that should cause that whatsoever. It
0: does. It, it's very Phantom of the Opera, like you said. Like it's, it's. It, it, honestly, that's bugged me for like twenty years. Like I don't. Like it's, <laughs> it's such a weird. Like he's got such graceful, beautiful artwork, and that one page, I'm just like, what is this?
1: eat it get him on
0: a podcast ask that one question and like all right that's all i want to know yeah seriously well like and like i i love his i love his iron man i mean at the end of the issue especially where you have that two-page spread of him amongst the chaos and then you also on the on the opposite page have um kind of just another shot of his face but it's kind of shaded out like it's not as vibrant um i don't know if it's maybe the colorist or or, or also chan or both but it's just it's always been something that i've been like oh man that looks cool like this is i mean i was what i'm trying to think how old i was when this came out i guess it was 98 or so i was probably like 14 15 years old so i was definitely on the cool train if it looked cool i was gonna like it
1: well that's why i liked his heroes reborn armor I, it probably looks ridiculous today but i thought it was very cool when i was young
0: uh, I'm a. I would agree, and I've said that multiple times. And I have a, a friend who's always like, "But but it looks stupid. But it's got those giant vents in the back." I'm like, I didn't care. I was like 13 years old. It was awesome. Yeah,
1: it It makes. I'm thinking, like, is he a lawnmower? He needs vents to vent stuff out. <laughs> like, I wasn't quite sure why he needed those, but it does look very
0: cool. Um, now the end of the first issue, as you mentioned, kind of has a bunch of characters in the shadows which looking back on it i'm like why do they bother with the shadows like it's pretty clear who these characters are
1: yeah it's a good point you're it's like they 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 obviously want you to know because they barely hide it but
0: like it's maybe it's
1: just they're in the shadows and his life maybe it's symbolic in some sense
0: like it's it's just so strange because it's like no one else looks like this but modok No one else has these rings like Mandarin. Like, it's very clearly these people. Yeah, we're going to play up the mystery anyway. But it it works, though. It still has a sense of foreboding to it, almost like, because you can't see them, it's more menacing. It's kind of like you're seeing Dr. Claw from the back. Like, you know it's Dr. Claw, but it's from the back, so it's more
1: exciting. I guess that's what it is. It's just to make them appear more evil, because they're in the shadows. I guess that's what they're going for, because they clearly want you to know this
0: is the Mandarin. They show you its hands with its rings. It's- mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. I When I look at issue two, I didn't realize at the time that there was variant covers, because uh, I had the second cover, the two-for-two two variant cover, which I didn't even know it was a variant. Those are the variants so they I
1: like. have- do they have both covers
0: in the book? Because the page after my first cover is just a blank white page. Oh well, then uh, apparently not in yours, but in mine, it, there's another cover.
1: I got the special double page all white cover. So, so. Uh,
0: um, what's interesting too? Look, going back to this book, um, which seems so much stranger because of what we're used to now, is Pepper Potts. Because um, Pepper Potts has been so completely transformed because of the movies um, that it's hard to imagine. The pepper we see in this book.
1: Yeah, if you compare this Pepper Potts to the way Indus is portraying her in the the Iron Heart book, it's just not even the same character.
0: No, it's not. Like this is, a, I mean, this is back when they never really played up her romance with Tony, which only I think happened in, I want to say, around 2006 or seven. Like for a long time, they just were not romantic partners. They were they were friends. She was married to Happy, who's now dead in the comics. But like, it's just so interesting to go back to this era where. You know, he actually had a supporting cast, first of all. I mean, how often do you see any of these characters anymore? Not that often, except for Pepper.
1: No, Yeah, she's really the only one that's carried through. And I I really... One thing I thought he did a great job with writing this book is he has bring all these characters in. He gives them the supporting cast. You have the supporting cast, their own story he builds, because you have the whole, what happened to Pepper and Happy? Why are they broken up? What's going to happen there? Um, He really keeps those subplots going through the book really well. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and like, and again, what I like now this is again of the time is that the first issue is a one and done. You get to set up the new status quo. You get the new company. everything's pretty easy. And then the next issue, you get two issues against the dreadnoughts, and that's it. And then we move on to the next thing. Like, I like that it's very concise storytelling. That we're getting you know complete stories, but you know, and we're getting the characters moving forward, etc. But we're you know we're not spending six issues in one main story. We're getting a lot going on. I agree.
1: I think you discussed this on one of your podcasts recently, but it's when you when it comes to these status quos, when you're having six issue long arcs, if you change the status quo every year, you're getting two stories per status quo. Mm-hmm. And like with this, like you feel like after a year of this comic, because everything's one issue, or two issues, or even three at most, everything feels very lived in. The status quo feels like it's been explored, like a lot's happened, like a lot's happening in his life. It's not like this status quo is established.
0: One thing happens, new status quo. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's so crazy that we're that they they switch it up so often, and because of the protracted storytelling, yeah, we don't really get to enjoy any of these status quo anymore. They don't feel like we really get to spend any time. Uh, and yeah, as you said, like we get when you get a year of this before we have any kind of real shift in the character, like it just there's just something about this that like. Uh, as well that th- this book is insulated because at the time there was no real big crossovers there was like the Avengers crossover live queer or die and you have the character involved in it but you also have the characters of the book progressing as well like you get a tie in that makes sense it's part of an overall story but it still moves the character along and then you move on to the next thing so you actually get to feel like you actually you get to see Tony's world for you know in this case of this book two years and you get a lot of story jammed in like There's so many different adventures he has here, whereas if if this was a modern comic, you might get four.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think the crossovers are the weakest part of the book, but the advantage, at least, is that it takes up one issue of Iron Man, and it's over. So if you're not liking it, it, if you're reading it real time, if you didn't like it, it was just one month.
0: Exactly. And then it was over. Um, I did like issue two, um, with uh, Tony being uh, an awesome skier
1: yeah he's doing the, the is he doing a flip on the first page
0: yeah but i mean i like this because it, it's you still get to see kind of the playful side of tony because we've said that you know he comes off much more adult um but there are aspects of his personality that that are a little bit more like the tony we know now like he takes he does take risks um he is out having fun uh but he also is a little bit more serious at the same time yeah he's a
1: he's it's like the the movie Tony just kind of takes all the characteristics and then turns the volume up on all of them. So everything mm-hmm. about him in this comic is like the movie character, but just with not everything to eleven.
0: It's interesting uh, in that issue, though. Um, they definitely at times play Tony almost look too much like James Bond, because like he he litters remote controlled charges outside in case he needs a distraction. Like who is this guy? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there is that aspect to it, where he's just, he's prepared. It's kind of like the, the Batman thing, where Batman's prepared for everything at all times, even if there is no way he'd see it coming.
0: Well, and especially, like, he uses a watch to detonate them, again, a very Bond-like thing. Um, he escapes by knocking them in the face with the briefcase, which, if there's armor in there, that must freaking hurt. <laughs>
1: Well, I wonder how heavy that case is he's carrying. If, I mean, you got to imagine the Iron Man armor is pretty heavy, and he's just carrying that thing around with one arm most of the time, so you got to imagine he's getting pretty jacked. That's
0: true, yeah. Well, and and then all that training with Cap, too, right?
1: <laughs> That's what it's from. Exactly. Cap showed him how to do a lot of curls.
0: Um, what do you think of the, this Iron Man design? We actually haven't talked about the armor itself.
1: So I like everything about it, except what they've added on top of his head and his arms, the sort of yellow... I'm not even sure what to call it, the, the glow, the glowy parts of his head and arms.
0: Oh, yeah? You don't like that?
1: I, it, I don't, am not sure why it's there, and they seem to forget a lot of times to make it actually glow and work.
0: Hmm. It is a good question, because I, I don't think there's any real functional purpose.
1: No, I mean, I, yeah, as far as I know, they never established that there's any reason for it. It seems like to me it would just make him less stealthy and... Yeah.
0: It. It's interesting too flipping through this book that we also get to see um you know classic Jarvis who we don't get to see much anymore.
1: Yeah, I he's he's he shown up. I know he was in the Mark Wade Avengers book before um, Civil War but I'm not sure if he's still around.
0: Yeah, I I don't I haven't seen him in a while. I know that's where the book where he was. And I think he's been an unstoppable wasp as well. But yeah, like we haven't seen a lot of him. And what's interesting too is that um I remember, no, never mind. But yeah, the, the the issues with the dreadnoughts I thought were fun because those are kind of villains we don't get to see anymore. These giant you know robots, which are perfectly suited for Iron Man.
1: Yeah, I thought this arc was a, a, a really solid um, second arc for the book. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought the first two actually the first, well, I guess the, yeah, the first one where he's in the snow and then the second one where he's at the beach. And I thought both of them were really well done.
0: What do you think of the uh, the romantic interests?
1: Uh, again, it feels like it's like, yeah, Tony is a, likes women and he's always dating somebody, but it's done more mature than you'd probably seen a book today. He's not quite the womanizer and the negative connotation that you might see it today. Mm-hmm. Like I, he just uh, dates a lot of women, but he's a rich, successful businessman. It's not surprising.
0: No, no, definitely not. Yeah. And, uh, I like, uh, what was it? Is it Romyko? Yeah. Ramiko. Um, I really liked her as a character. I mean, they did things with her later on that I didn't agree with but long after this but this is back when she I, she was a lot more interesting as a character and like seeing, too. seeing Tony kind of grappling with again being mature being in a relationship um, he's had a really shitty time in relationships I mean he's been shot um, you know th- things have been bad and I also like the um, the new Firebrand who if you actually look at the design I don't know what's going on with him but it looks cool <laughs> like yeah
1: it's- uh, it's not really clear ever what exactly is going on with it, but yeah, it does. It looks neat. It looks it looks foreboding. It looks scary. It's like someone you wouldn't want to fight.
0: No, yeah, like but yeah, it's it's such a weird design. But again, the original Firebrand is kind of a weird costume design, really simple, but like not that for, uh, forbidding. So this definitely kind of took that to the next uh, level. And what I like about issue, I guess, four is that when you have all these issues happening on this on this island you have you know Tony's kind of taking control on what to do and and I thought it was interesting because he's not Iron Man like no one knows he's Iron Man so it's, it's kind of interesting that this this CEO kind of takes control and says this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to save people
1: Yeah I think it's interesting where you have the split with the alter ego here because you end up having to do the whole thing where, like, he needs, constantly needs to have an excuse of where Tony Stark was while Iron Man is doing things.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we get a volcano, which is, you know, pretty cool. Again, when you have a character like Firebrand, it's, it works well. Um, I, I actually really enjoyed this Firebrand, and we never really get to see a lot of him. He does appear in a couple of other places, but not very many.
1: I was not aware there was another Firebrand until moments ago.
0: Oh, we didn't know he was the second one?
1: <laughs> no, like I said, it, this would be. Look at his modern, who he fights. He doesn't tend to fight any of the people you might think of more as classic Iron Man villains very often.
0: No, that's true. But I guess they were they were trying to do a lot of different things here. Um, the they team up with Black Widow I really like, because this is, it's so interesting, again, looking at Black Widow, because they play her in such a very specific way in like the last 10 years. And this is a very different version of her.
1: It
0: like, is like it's. It's kind of weird going back and, and looking at some of these characters because, again, twenty years a lot can change in comics, and a lot sometimes can stay the same. And this is a, an instance where a lot a lot has changed in the character, uh, both because of how she's been portrayed in other media, and also they've just gone they've gone so much darker with her. And this is still her kind of as a superhero.
1: Yeah, now they really play up the whole former Russian spy has killed type thing you're right that here she is they, that's still part of her but they much more focused on the fact that now she is an avenger she is a superhero and they're not so much the dark i'm a murderer secret empire style black widow
0: mm-hmm. now the uh the next issue so it's interesting so you said that the for you the crossovers were kind of the weakest one of the weaker points. So we got, uh, live queer or die part one of four is in Iron Man seven. And it actually starts one of my favorite subplots of this run, which is everything that happens with Carol Danvers. Um, you know, that the fact that she's got a drinking issue, uh, obviously Kurt Busick was writing Avengers and he had her over there, and here it kind of comes more to a head because we have Tony kind of directly taking this on, which makes sense because of his own issues with alcoholism. And I thought it was such a, a a powerful part of the run was him trying to get through to her and her just not caring about it at all.
1: I agree. I think that is the best full... Like, if you look at the plots run through the book, that one's done the best. And uh, I mean, it's portrayed in a very... You know, so often these things, even back at like when Tony had his own recovery, they happen so quick, or like there's just one moment that fixes everything. But in this book, like it takes a really long time for them to get through to her, for her to accept it, and you—it's—they show how hard it is dealing with something like this, and especially how dangerous it might be if you were a superhero and you were drunk.
0: No, absolutely, and yeah, and there's a lot of spots we see of that kind of her dealing with that. It's also, too, and again, this is very much, as you said, of the era, is that we get a nice info dump of everything you ever needed to know about Carol Danvers, but never were afraid to ask.
1: Oh, yeah, you get the double-page Wikipedia-style, yeah, they are going to cover it, from military to meeting everyone to the whole thing with um, her getting pregnant with her mm-hmm. rapist and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. It's,
0: it's It's interesting reading this stuff back because, again, this is something that's not done anymore but i kind of miss it even though you know it could be obtrusive but you got to think i mean the the old stanley adage of every comic is someone's first well i mean this is my first time really meeting you know miss marvel at the time so I got to know everything I needed to know about that character in two pages that I would never have known otherwise. There wasn't an internet, well, there wasn't an internet, but there wasn't an internet I could easily find all this information on. Like this was back when, you know, the comics were your source. And so it was kind of nice that they very easily and quickly gave you the history and made it make sense for where they were going to develop the character. So I actually like this, but I do understand that it's a very old school style that a lot of people don't like anymore.
1: Yeah, I agree. You probably wouldn't do it today, but at the time this was written, this was a very important double-page spread or two pages to have. To, because again, you read Iron RMA, you might not know who this person is, and she does have a very long, complicated history.
0: Yeah, I mean, she had she hadn't been in a ton of comics, but yeah, as you said, like there's, you know, there's there's rapists and there's weird, you know, pregnancies and there's people taking their powers. Like there's a lot going on, considering she wasn't in a lot of comics. <laughs>
1: yeah I think it's important too because you're trying to establish okay if all this happened to me I'd probably take a drink too
0: (laughs) true and one thing I also really enjoy is that uh, which we don't see anymore is at the bottom of each page it's like scenes and data on this page courtesy of blah 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 blah." Mm -hmm. and I love that again that's when I was first getting in, it gave me the sense of this bigger universe because, it, like, if I wanted to, I could go find those issues and I could figure these things out or I could actually see these things. And I always thought that was such a nice touch and I missed that in comics that especially the ones where it was like super hyper-detailed and at the end of the issue, I think it was like Hobgoblin Lives did this, um, we had like a, a checklist of like this happened in this issue, this happened in this issue, and you could actually go back and see everything. And I always thought that was so cool. And not having editor's notes, to me, takes something away because, I mean, again, I was a kid getting in, and it gave me a sense of where, where I could find all the answers and see everything play out instead of just going to a Wikipedia page and getting a summary, but not being able to really experience it.
1: I agree. I, I love this stuff. Like if you, in the very back of this book, they have the sort of the Iron Man history stuff. They have those two books where they go through sort of early years in the back of that. They have sort of where everything that happened in that book, where it sort of happened in the actual comics back in the sixties. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this happened in Avengers number two. We're just portraying it here on page 20. Um, the same sort of thing in Avengers Forever, where in the trades of that, at the back, it'll say, like, well, all these
0: events for referencing, here's where they all took place. Absolutely. No, I missed that. Um, An issue that I don't think has ever been reprinted, but I could be wrong, is something called um, uh, Iron Man the Legend. So I remember, I don't know how I picked this book up when it came out. It must have been at a comic book store, but, like, one of the few times I'd ever been to one at that time, but um, after Heroes, I'm trying to think, right before Heroes were born, I Might be getting this wrong. They published these one shots, and I think there was one for Thor. I know there was one for Captain America, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, and they were called you know that character's name, The Legend. And it was basically a history up until that point. uh, Had a cover gallery of all the all the covers that they'd had up until that point. Um, You know, best stories, best uh, best characters. uh, You know, the loves of a certain character. It was this great kind of resource to everything you need to know about that character. Although they just killed them off. Um, but I, And I remember I had Fantastic Four and Iron Man, so I've always loved those, and that's part of what probably made it easy for me to jump into Iron Man, is that I had this this awesome The Legend book, and I was able to kind of understand things. Yeah, but it's, it's nice to know, like, like today,
1: if you have know, really something like that, and probably no one would want to read it, because all that stuff is easily accessible online, you can see it, but back then, you're right, you needed some way to get into the book, to understand what everyone was, what was happening, and... That stuff was good. It was
0: helpful. Well, it's like, it's why the official handbook of the Marvel Universe was so big back in the day. Like, you know, that was the place where you could get all your information and and understand it all and and all the history up until that point, which is still amazes me that they ever did it because it just seems like such a a mammoth undertaking. And how would you know people would like it? That <laughs> it
1: is, it's it'd be so much work. And then as as soon as you finish it, it's already out of date.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then they kept doing updates every few years. Um, but yeah, you're right. Besides kind of the, the Carol Danvers, um, introduction of w- the issues she's having both with her powers and with the drinking, there's not a lot to the tie-in. I mean, you're just introducing the Kree as more of a problem, and then you get to see that throughout, but, um, Carol's story continues on throughout the different books, which is kind of a nice, um, a nice thing that they push along.
1: It does. I, I haven't read... A- through all of his avenger stuff, yeah, I've only really read through the opening parts of it, but I imagine they pick up a lot of that there too with Ms.
0: Marvel and her drinking. Mm-hmm, Absolutely, and the the art in some of these books is fantastic. But it, reading through it, it always I always forget that um, instead of you know it being um, I'm trying to think like a well I guess there was no Thor book. It's just weird that part three of four is a Quicksilver book. Like it's very easy to forget that ever happened.
1: And it made it to issue ten. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it I, I think it finished off with issue twelve. Like I don't think this was the last issue yeah. either, so I think it
1: kept going. Yeah, I mean I, I, I mean I can't imagine if you launched a quick slur book today you would get that far. It'd be yeah. one of those ongoings going's becoming a miniseries type thing.
0: For sure. Well yeah, it's again, it's one of those like who came up with this idea who and, and I guess it started before the heroes came back too. So it's kind of an interesting him living in Wondergore, like again, this isn't something anyone would think of now.
1: No, I, I just, I mean, I was young back then. I know I never thought to myself when I was 12, I wish Quicksilver had his own book.
0: Yeah, I guess, if you think about it, like, if all your Avengers characters, for the most part, are in a different universe, and there's very few left in yours, you may want to use some of them.
1: Maybe that's what it was, yeah. the Marvel itself wanted to do that stuff. That makes sense.
0: But, I mean... Um, but, a character... Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, there's a character I'm flipping through the issues we've covered. We never talked about, uh, Morgan Stark.
0: Yes, of course. He's, a hey. he's an interesting one. and we don't sniveling cousin. And we don't see him anymore, either.
1: No, I wasn't aware he existed until he popped up in this book.
0: <laughs> see, I, it's so interesting that all these elements of his history that aren't around anymore. Um, a quick note about Quicksilver, though. Um, when, I believe... Um, let's see. Age of Ultron was coming out the movie. They did publish a trade, Avengers Quicksilver, which has all 13 issues of his ongoing.
1: I uh, can't believe I missed that.
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's 13 issues of Quicksilver, two issues of Heroes for Hire, and a Heroes for Hire Quicksilver annual.
1: Hey, in Amazon in the U.S., it's 45% off. How could you not buy it?
0: Right? <laughs> obviously you gotta you gotta go for that what's interesting too is that the cover um the main image of quicksilver is not in this book at all because it's from the avengers run by kurt, by george perez but anyway enough about quicksilver because it's not that great an issue um the the avengers issue is pretty solid because again you got george perez doing the art and again obviously kurt Busick really cares a lot about what he's developing with the um the storyline with uh with Carol, and it's just really interesting to see how he pushes that forward.
1: It's interesting, especially when you compare her to where she is today, where she's the head of everything and in every book, and she's gonna have her own movie. And in this, she's just the the drunk superhero.
0: But I kind of find her more interest, like more interesting in some ways, just because you have her dealing with something that makes sense for what the character had been through. And unfortunately, it's kind of a forgotten plotline now. Like, did you have any idea she was ever a drunk?
1: Uh, I I knew about it a little bit, but I'd never read the stories where it really happened. Like, i read some... There's an issue of Wolverine where she's kind of drunk in it. Um, I'd read that one. Interesting. Um, but it seems like Marvel sort of just... They've taken everything about her pre-becoming Captain Marvel and sort of just... Not erased it, but they don't talk about it at all, ever.
0: Yeah, they kind of ignore it. Um, yep. One of my favorite issues of this run, especially when it came out, was uh, Iron Man 8. Um... Where you have whiplash and uh, going after Tony, and you got a, like a lot of flashbacks throughout the book. Um, but really, what it kind of builds to is what happens at the end, where you have the Spy Master's goons. Um, I always thought the pacing on this issue was really on point, where Tony finally figures everything out, or thinks he has, because he figures out that it's probably all coming from the Mandarin. He he leaves the building and he closes the door, and just as he does that, here's this you know the squad of killers. Who have uh, I guess all their they have numbered costumes, which is hilarious.
1: Yeah, I, it's a strong issue. The only thing I can say that's off about it is the S and M style costume that Whiplash is wearing.
0: Yeah, it's not great.
1: I'm not sure what they were thinking of that one, but I don't. I just don't think it fits very well in the world of Iron Man.
0: Now, um, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. Have you ever read? The Iron Man by Joe Quesada trade that comes after this run
1: so I have it on my shelf but I have not read it so <laughs>
0: so you're saying have one of those. To, you're saying we have to talk about it on the podcast at some point then
1: <laughs> that'll be the sequel to this podcast
0: because uh, it's fantastic
1: yeah I need it that's yeah I guess it how many issues did Quesada do? He just do what's in that book?
0: Yeah, he didn't do much. Yep. Like he yeah, he, he wasn't involved with it for long because I I can't remember the artist the writer who took over, but he did the main kind of story where I mean uh about the armor, I won't say much more than that, but uh and was he, he revisits Whiplash, so whenever I think of him I I do remember what Quesada did to him.
1: Did he give him a better costume?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> He does something else.
1: <laughs> well, now, now I'm intrigued. Now, 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 I want to read it. I, mean,
0: uh, I will just say stuff happens to him, but um, I mean that that. Anyways, I, I won't. That's a whole different run of Iron Man, but um, it wouldn't exist without you know the stellar run that, that Busey put together. <laughs> um, the whole it's interesting. The Spymaster shows up and never actually does anything. Like he yeah, he
1: just stands on the roof. <laughs>
0: Which is kind of strange, and then, yeah, you have Tony getting, you know, pretty beat up, and I've always liked that last issue again where, you know, Black Widow goes and rescues him and his his heart's not beating, and that's, you know, that's pretty dire, but also, like, the coloring of the blood is very of its time, like, it's not red, they don't want to make it, you know, to violate the, you know, Comics Code Authority, so it's that weird kind of, like, I don't know, pinkish, I guess?
1: Yeah, it looks more like someone spilled a lot of fruit punch on
0: him. It does look like that. <laughs> What's well, almost worse on the next cover? It's because it's on his pants, and it's just kind of a weird. Like it almost looks like he was painting, and he just got. That's sloppy. what i was going to say. Yeah, like he spilled some paint. <laughs> it's kind of a, a weird composition for a cover too, because like you have the um, you know the floating dragon above, and then you have just kind of the Mandarin underneath, and it's almost, it almost seems like a very disconnected cover.
1: And then they framed it with dragons as well. It just, it, I think it's just way, way too busy. There's too much going on.
0: Absolutely, because then you also have like the title. Like you have too much going on. You almost can't even see the credits at the bottom because the coloring that they used doesn't really work well with the uh, the back the backdrop.
1: Yeah, it's it's not. Like I said, I, I think Sean Chen's a good artist too, but this is not um, the best cover ever done. Not all well, that's his fault either. You know, he didn't lay out how everything is laid out here beyond his art, but. No, it's not strong.
0: We do get um, this issue is kind of interesting because it definitely pushes the idea that uh, Tony's going to be reckless and kind of charge into situations when he's not ready, even when his body won't let him. Um, and that's like an overriding theme that we see throughout these issues, and it definitely gets expressed here because he just got you know the life beat out of him, but he's going to put on the armor and go confront the the Mandarin. That's not a good idea. We also got some a great uh, one pager giving us an idea of who the Mandarin is and the last few times we've seen him, uh, as well as kind of recapping everything we've seen in the book so far. Which again is you know trying to show that you're, you're building off of something, and that if you missed an issue, well, we're still going to recap it for you.
1: Yeah, definitely a good job. If this was the first one you picked up you know enough to keep reading through this comic I think you know if you look at the modern version of this this might be issue 30 into a run and they wouldn't even put much effort in helping catch you and it'd be like well if you're by issue 30 if you haven't been reading it's sort of going to be left behind whereas here they really try hard to say even if this is issue one you're going to be okay which can make it hard
0: to read if you already have read the first eight but I couldn't assume yeah. that. Too. It's, uh, it's also interesting because you have um, What the Winter Guard <laughs>
1: Yeah <laughs> From Russia
0: And everyone gets a bio right Like you, you, like you read it and you're like Alright I know who the Winter Guard are Like if you read a modern comic They won't tell you anything
1: No they would just They might throw Winter Guard and some names below the app They're not giving you Wikipedia entries below
0: And actually I gotta admit I don't remember this Red Guardian Because I've seen a lot of Red Guardian costumes I don't remember this one at all
1: the only thing I tell you about the Winter Guard is that they are Russian. Other than that, I know
0: nothing. I'm actually curious how many of these characters existed prior, because like I recognize some of them, uh, like Darkstar. Everyone kind of knows because of her association with the X titles, um, but that's kind of in like the the Red Guardian. But the rest, I'm like, I don't know who these characters are. Yeah, I don't
1: think I've never heard of Power Surge or Cybercat. Vanguard, Cybercat.
0: <laughs> saber tooth like
1: <laughs> terrible well, one thing I think that happens in this issue you would not see in the modern Iron Man is Mandarin's gigantic floating dragon fortress
0: well then we kind of get something like that at the end of the fraction run
1: uh, I guess a little bit but it seems it's it's very comic booky here
0: it is well especially the way Ch- uh, Chen draws it right like that first mm-hmm. giant shot of that dragon's mouth you're like really
1: yeah, I mean it's like, you, If you made an Iron Man movie You would not have this in there for sure
0: Nope, but if you made an Iron Man video game You might
1: <laughs> It would be a fun thing to fight in a video game I, I could be a good last boss
0: <laughs> um, What do you think of the design Of the Mandarin here?
1: I like his costume I think it's, it's a strong design
0: it's kind of understated. It's also again one thing that's, that strikes me is that you've had basically you know eight issues of lead up, and then the Revenge of the Mandarin is two issues.
1: Yeah, that is it's, it's short. Um, yeah, this is sort of the climax of his first year. Like I said, it's he gets forty four pages to pull it off.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. But again, I like that because you don't get to see that anymore. Like it's it's it still feels very packed. Like you don't feel like it's given short thrift, but you know, and it still feels earned and uh, no I I always thought it was pretty cool and he again really, at the end he collapses again like you got a lot of Iron Man just putting himself through the paces and not being able to go through it
1: you're right it is, it's, that's a strong part of the book like you said before where there's this constant pull of he shouldn't be Iron Man but he keeps insisting that he is going to be anyway Like you know, even they tell him that you're, you're going to die if you keep doing this he's like well I'll just fix the armor
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too because, like, if you were to write that book now, you would address the ideas of addiction, the fact that, like, there's a parallel. You were, you know, you were an addict. You're in some way, you were a drinker. You've kind of found something new to replace that, but they don't really go all in on that because it's just not, not of the era. Yeah,
1: you could draw parallels back to Carol Danvers and what she's going through, but yeah,
0: I mean, it's, they don't, they
1: don't hit on that in the same way they, they might as strongly today.
0: What did you think of the uh, the the annual, 1998 annual starring Invincible Iron Man and Captain America? Which is an interesting way that they used to do these. It's not the Invincible Iron Man annual, it's not the Captain America annual, it's just the Marvel Comics 1998 annual starring these characters.
1: So the only thing I remember from this is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this the one where he erases his knowledge of people knowing who he is from everyone's mind? Yes. Yeah just sort of like in half a page does it Like Oh while I'm here Let me go ahead and erase Everyone in the world's mind That happens to know who I am
0: Yeah It feels a little lazy Right
1: Well On the one hand it's lazy But think about how much time They spent with Spider-Man Doing it And then Explaining how they did it And in some sense As a writer If you really really Just don't want to deal with it You want it done Maybe just At least they gave an explanation They didn't just Skip eight months And say everyone forgot Yeah yeah. <laughs> that's that's been my frustration lately with a lot of this stuff is I I'm getting really tired of the big event happens, then skip six months and then just pick it up from there and everyone sort of moved on from the big event that happened. Like I want people to deal more with the fallout of things and at least here they're acknowledging that, yes, this did happen and here's an end story resolution to people knowing its identity.
0: Mm-hmm. So next we have the, uh, the Iron Man 11, which is also shows it's, it was the Fan Award winner and for uh, 1998 from Wizard uh, for Favorite Writer.
1: Back, yeah, in, he
0: was, back when Wizard was a was, thing.
1: This would have been for us, Thunderbolts, Avengers, Astro City... Iron Man. I guess he was he was on a roll here in the
0: late nineties. Absolutely. I I wish he would do the show. He doesn't do podcasts, and I respect that. But I would love to talk to Kurt so much because I was so influenced by his era, you know his writing, and this era was just amazing.
1: I really. I, when I was looking online, there weren't too many interviews with him. Interviews with him online either. I wonder if he just doesn't do a lot of this this type of stuff in general. Even thinking beyond podcasts.
0: No it's it's just not his bag but I, I always liked this issue because it was a nice kind of um, fallout issue from everything that came before and again like he he's not really walking he's dealing with like all the stuff that's happened to his body um, interesting as well we got to see Jane Foster mm-hmm. which again a doctor a completely different version of the character
1: <laughs>
0: I mean she's not Thor yet no it,
1: it's, it's a small difference
0: <laughs> just a small one but again, it's interesting to kind of see how he's dealing with what's happened to his body. And again, still trying to talk to Carol and her just n- completely shutting down. And then they're also kind of moving along the plot line of Mask and her and Whitney Frost and her body. Um, also what's going on with War Machine. Like, there's so much that they're trying to develop and push along here in one issue. And this is the denouement issue, right? Like this is the issue after the you know the big bad of the first year for the most part is has been done. And now you go right into a new story where Tony can barely walk. He's still using the armor because but he shouldn't be. You have Carol dealing with her own problems, and now you have a new war machine who's not Rhodey. Like that's a lot to pack in.
1: Do they ever resolve the Madam Mask portion of the plot in this book itself? No.
0: Yeah, I believe it gets resolved I didn't think they did. over in Avengers
1: because it was weird as I was reading, they kept the, for two years. They keep hinting, they keep pulling bodies out of the water and talking about it. But then it, the book ends, and it never, it never beca- the subplot. Never becomes the plot.
0: No, it doesn't. Now I, I do. No, it's interesting. So this, these issues, um, I may have missed something. I believe issue number eleven, we still, we still have Sean Chen, and then issue twelve, we actually have Patrick Zerker instead. Yeah, I think
1: he's done even He did a couple of fill-ins before. He then, did back in the Black Widow issue.
0: His uh, his his War Machine is absolutely spectacular here, though. Like I'm such a huge fan of the way he makes the character look. Although on the first page of the issue has a very of the time kind of weird background, like trying to be like a vague technology, like a, is it just like a computer chip or something behind him? Like, but like magnified. That's what it
1: looks like. <laughs> It looks like they've taken a picture of a computer chip and sort of run a filter over it and then drawn a war machine over top. The war machine looks great in
0: the image. And again, we got a nice kind of recap of everything about uh, about, uh, Rhodey in case you didn't know about him, um, which is nice and kind of showing where he has been leading up to this point. And now we have this new war machine who's uh, fighting against with Carol and Iron Man. And I like that they make him feel like a credible threat. And obviously part of this is the fact that Tony is so beaten that he can barely move.
1: Yeah, throughout this issue, he's just—I mean, you know, I guess for the last four or five issues, he gets beat up every time he goes out.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually pretty harsh. Um, now, with, there's a, a lot of subplots, obviously, because this is back in the era of subplots. Um, how many times? I, I I didn't go back and count, but I'm just curious. How many times do you think Happy refers to himself as a pug? <laughs> Like it happens every time
1: he's on panel.
0: Like every time he's just like, I don't know what you'd want with a broken down pug like me. I'm like again, Christ. Um,
1: yeah, he has the lowest self esteem of anyone in comic book history. Apparently,
0: it's, it's pretty low. Um, there's a shot in this where uh, Tony tries to use um, from Armor Wars like one of his negator packs, and it doesn't work and he gets crushed, and then he gets knocked out, and then he tries to kind of fly after him, and then he just kind of falls to the ground. I always loved that image as a kid. I don't know why, but that really spoke to me. Like, this guy is given everything he has, and he's going to try and go after the villain, even when he really can't, and he just can't anymore. Yeah, the next
1: page is strong, too, where you have Ms. Marvel in the rain, holding him, and it Mm -hmm. cuts to him laying in the bed um, in serious condition.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, this is a character who had been completely paralyzed before, so, I mean, this is kind of going back to a well-drunk well, um, well drunk from well, but uh, at the, especially, like, a couple pages later when he's trying to put on the armor and he can't and he's just on the ground, like, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: That's another good image, yeah, where he's sort of got it halfway on and he's just collapsed again.
0: And, again, because technology in comics has changed... Nowadays, it would just go on him, and he would be, like, asleep, but it would at least get him somewhere, right? Like, we've seen that, where he'll, he'll pass out in the armor, but the armor still brings him somewhere, or it can still go on him even when he's kind of incapacitated. This is back when he actually has to put on his own armor.
1: Yeah, but it's not just going to put himself on, fly him across the country, wake him up when we get there. Um, but there's a strong moment at the end of the book. You get sort of what could appear to be the resolution of the whole Ms. Marvel alcoholic angle, where she's like, you know, I have a problem, I can lick it, and then like you're like, well, well I guess that's that's done, and then for the next year you see that's that's not it, it's not that simple.
0: Which I like a lot. Me too. Uh the next issue is uh now I don't know why they did a giant size spectacular for the thirteenth issue. <laughs> <laughs> Seems pretty arbitrary, but it's a great story with the controller, who is more of a classic uh, Iron Man villain. And again, Tony having to deal with everything from the last little while, he gets to see Ramiko again. Like it definitely felt like they were, you know, kind of trying to pack. it. There's so much packed into this issue.
1: Mm, it's another strong one. I do like Ramiko. R- R- She's a a really solid character. And again, her relationship is much more mature than the relationships he has with people today.
0: Um, now, the appearance of Courtney Cox is still strange, though. <laughs> like, it's so, yes. like, they don't name-check her, but it's, like, that's obviously her. Which is funny, at the time, I don't think I was watching Friends in, like, 98, because I was, like, 15 years old, so I don't think I was watching it, so I don't think I would have gotten that reference.
1: No, I, I, w- I definitely wouldn't have back then. Um, I've seen a little bit of it now, I don't my wife loves it, but in 1998, I would not have noticed that
0: um, there's a lot more romance in this issue, obviously. I mean, like, you know, for a 98 comic, um, you know, Tony definitely, uh, starts to push things a little with Romyko.
1: Yeah, he does. And there's, there's a, a panel later on where she's like, she's tied up and she's riding in the chair.
0: Oh yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I still remember that panel. <laughs> like it's, yeah. like they, yeah, they play up certain stuff. Um, yeah, her
1: shirt reads, her shirt reads diva. Mm-hmm.
0: I actually really like that this issue, um, you know, is interesting because it, it's, it's kind of, obviously it's still set in, in Tony's world and dealing with everything that's happened, but it's a nice kind of done in one where, and also very creepy, you know, because, you know, all these people are being mind controlled and like all this power is being gained by the controller. I thought it was actually a, a, kind of a really cool place to go with it. And I also like that in here we have Tony having to kind of, again, deal with his problems and, um, you know, Romico's kind of not having anything to do with this.
1: Yeah, she really, I mean, I think this is, it makes the romantic subplots a little easier on the writer when Iron Man and Tony Stark aren't synonymous with one another and that they're the same person because it just adds extra complication. Just like with Spider-Man, when he has to be Peter Parker and Spider-Man and his girlfriend can't know he's both, it just makes it harder for him to keep a relationship going.
0: For sure. Now, what's interesting, too, is that on on the last page of the issue, which I really like, it has a great uh, narration of the time, which is and I can't help but wonder, am I any less obsessed than the controller? Am I in control of my life at all? Now, I always liked that. Now, what is also interesting is that on this page, Rameko is leaving, you don't know where he's, when she, he's going to see her again, but then, totally to undercut it, at the bottom of the page, don't worry, folks, Ramiko will be back. <laughs> what? Like, you get this dramatic, you know, breakup, which you don't think you're going to see her again or when you're going to see the character. And then they completely just say, you know, no, don't worry, she'll be back.
1: Yeah, they do really undercut that because she says, I'll see you around, maybe. Those are pursed in the back of her sports car. And yeah, they just completely, in the very next line, undercut that.
0: It's kind of interesting, too, seeing Tony again... Very human, you know. Like he, he, you know, he's he's getting dumped. He's got issues with it. I mean, this isn't the current Tony who'd handle this completely differently. Yeah, he
1: seems honestly upset by it in a way that you probably wouldn't expect him to be upset by a woman leaving him today.
0: No. Um, Now, I'm pretty sure you were not a huge fan of the Fantastic Four issue.
1: Uh, that's an understatement. It's it's bad.
0: yeah it's interesting too, because if you look at it, I mean, so you started reading during the Matt fraction run by Salvador la Roca. Mm-hmm. This is by Salvador la Roca.
1: yeah it's like a completely different guy
0: I mean he's more um more cartoony and at times it works better and sometimes it doesn't. His first big shot of Iron Man and his armor what what armor is this
1: yeah it's nothing we've seen before that's for sure and the proportions of it are it's it looks bad
0: the whole issue is i mean like i don't mind the art for most of the issue besides that although i mean it, it reminds me of an era that is very strange and doesn't like feel right anymore like you have a very different version of sue um with a lot of a lot of brush showing <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, which she'd done earlier but like this this feels a little different um you have her um i guess her daughter was there i forgot that claremont kind of introduced her as well um it feels like a a weird artifact this issue
1: yeah it's whenever these crossovers happen i mean it just you, you see how i mean i think the iron man book as a whole is very strong even if you considered it by today's standards but when you see how like the quality of Fantastic Four at the same time,
0: you realize how good Iron Man was at this time. Oh, for sure, and unfortunately, the uh, the Iron Man issue that continues the two parter kind of is, is, is not. It, it still suffers, but at least you have you know other ongoing sub subplots. You have Jim Rhodes trying to figure out what happened with the armor. Like they, he tries to you know keep his regular storyline going while we're still worried about what's going on in the moon with Ronan. But at least it looks better. Um, again, you have more development with Happy Hogan and his kind of weird date. I'm sure he mentions that he's a pug somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like at least there's enough else going on, so when you're not reading the main story, you're at least entertained by the regular subplots that you're used to in Iron Man at this point. This issue is also our introduction to co-plotter and scripter Roger Stern. That's right, yes. Yep.
1: So I read about that, too. Apparently it was a health thing with the uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, I guess that's what Stern said in one of the interviews, that um, I guess either like you know, he had his heavy workload, he had some illness going on, and just needed someone to help him this, with this and Avengers Forever, needed Stern to come in and help him.
0: That's right, yeah, that's right. I, um, I love the cover to number 15. The colors are just so vibrant on that armor, even on those weird, as we said, weird glowy parts that don't need to glow. Let's see. Flip forward to
1: that. It's
0: with that uh, Nitro, the hero killer, which is true.
1: Is, yeah, it is, That is. Yeah, he's he becomes very important ten years later.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to kind of see him. Like he made appearances here in like a Spider-Man issue. Like he wasn't he wasn't really big stuff at the time.
1: Yeah. Um, now yes, this, he, he was he, he was in that Bendis, um the opening of Bendis' Daredevil run. He was there as well, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Yes, he was.
1: He he blows up outside of the courthouse and.
0: That's what he Which does. A lot of events. Yep. Now, it's interesting about this issue? So, you got Sean Chan, Salvador La Roca, and Terry Shoemaker. And unfortunately, the issue does look kind of crowded as a result. Like, there's not a really good, consistent uh, sense of the art. Although, we do have. um, Is this the first appearance in this book of the Iron Man armor being in that weird kind of hover pod?
1: Uh, it's yeah, I think so. It is the first of the that, at least to see in this book. Yeah, because it's sort of like the weird hovering backpack. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we also have Iron Man kind of wearing that weird undersuit as well, which he yeah,
1: hadn't—he
0: hadn't been wearing up until then. Yeah,
1: that's the kind of thing I think everyone's very used to seeing now, sort of that undersuit you know, that he needs to connect with it. But we hadn't seen that at all before. He would sort of just be wearing his his suit or his tux, and then he'd just have the armor man Iron Man armor over top of that.
0: Hmm. Um. Uh, man, like I'm, I'm again, I'm reading it and again seeing the backpack flying through the air just looks so. Silly.
1: Well, this issue also has the—I don't—I doubt this was the first, but it has the opening splash and Iron Man flying next to a bunch of missiles. And I feel like that's an image I've seen many, many times. It always looks good, but mm-hmm. um, we see it here again.
0: Yeah, again, I, it's hard to uh, get over the fact that the art styles change so much throughout the book. Like you start with a much stronger sense of the art, and it kind of throughout just gets worse and worse
1: it does, but by the end it looks nothing like it looked like at the beginning. Just no. Big stylistic
0: shift. And we're building up to a big, uh, a big, uh, Fim, Fang Foom storyline.
1: Mm-hmm. Which is great.
0: <laughs>
1: which, I, you know, this is one of those ones where initially I wasn't a big fan of it, but I think a lot of parts of it really work well with the whole you know, Thing Fang Foom kind of taking over this guy, and him having to deal with that, and I thought the resolution to this whole thing, Fang Foom Mark was pretty strong.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And again, Fin Fang Foom was not, I mean, especially at this time, was not that well used. Like, you didn't see him that often. Um, now, I mean, ever since Next Wave, I think everyone's kind of a little bit more used to the character. But at the time, he was still a little bit more unique and uh, a kind of a rare threat. And kind of an interesting thing to see Iron Man go up against because, you know, it's they're not really on the same strata. A giant space-faring dragon versus Iron Man.
1: Yep, yeah, I think those are always fun when you take a hero and you just put him in a circumstance where power-wise he is not just at a disadvantage, but at, it's an impossibility. Like Spider-Man versus Juggernaut. Spider-Man cannot throw punches with that character. He has to find some other way.
0: I do like when, the, when they're able to take him out, and then in the next issue you see Iron Man piling a giant rig to carry Fin Fang Foom, which, yeah. is, which is crazy.
1: It is, it's an impressive looking page, That yeah, they have them all tied up, and he's, he's the power source for this rig.
0: I just realized, the entire time I've been calling um, Carol Danvers Miss Marvel, I forgot, she was Warbird right now.
1: Is that what she's going by?
0: That's what she was going by, I completely forgot, uh-huh. but in Avengers uh, around this time, she took the name Warbird. That's right. Come, uh-huh. It's only because on the cover of 18, it actually says, Warbird, Battles for Her Life. I'm like, oh yeah
1: yeah, but she's still she's still in her Ms. Marvel outfit. Even when she was going as Warbird, she was still wearing the Ms. Marvel outfit.
0: She was absolutely. Yeah. Um, now this also starts the storyline with uh, Sunset Bane, which which is such a great you know Bond name for villain.
1: It is. It lets you know instantly this person is evil.
0: Yeah, and again in here we also have Tony. What briefly take pick up some alcohol, if he's thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, like, I like that we have Tony still dealing with the demons of his past and also wondering what's going on with Carol because, obviously, you know, she's, you know, trying to, you know, be done with her issues or move on from them. And the fact that she still thinks that he's, you know, checking up on her and not really liking that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot of strong work here in terms of that. Yeah, that, like, you know, she, she says, I think, like, you know... I don't need that kind of help, I can beat this myself, where even at this point she's sort of acknowledged she has a problem, but she's not ready to really address it.
0: No, she's still kinda of going into going into battle and you know you know, if if she'd been sober, things would have been better. And again, at the end of that issue, we have her asking, like, she's like, oh, Tony, help me. Which is, again, a big change for the character, because up until then, she's very much like, I can do this on my own, I can do this, thanks, I can understand I have a problem, but I can do this on my own. This is her kind of saying, I can't do it on my own, which is a lot of depth and growth for the character.
1: It is. I I was thinking, you know, I mentioned before how Marvel sort of not really acknowledged a lot of this stuff recently but they didn't have that really strong issue during Civil War 2 where her and Tony both end up at the AA meeting together
0: okay yeah that's right I forgot about that okay so I guess they uh, they are remembering it um, yeah so
1: that was that's really the only time I've seen it mentioned other than that I thought that was probably one of the better moments in Civil War 2
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Um, now, I do like that we have the ridiculous-looking but still fun giant war machine.
1: Yeah, yeah he takes up the... He, he is the cover.
0: He is for, like, a couple covers, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's yeah, he's and it's- so huge. I also like how they bring in uh, Jocasta. This will matter more in the uh, the next storyline as well. Like, they do a lot with the development of Jocasta being kind of this resident AI. Um, mm mm-hmm. But this is kind of where we first kind of get to see her. And again, a lot of flashbacks in these issues to finally explain who this version of War Machine is, uh, what he's doing. Um, yeah, no, and again, also explaining who Jocasta is as well. Really good.
1: It is. It's, this is. At first, I, I thought the year one of this book was stronger than year two. But when I went through it again, I year two is probably probably just as strong it just lacks maybe sort of the setup like year one had that you know first issue where it shows you everything that's going to happen during the year here's the mandarin here's this guy and year two didn't have that sort of setup as much but still i like, the individual story arcs work really well
0: yeah no they do well and it's because you know music has an idea of what he wants the character to do and uh and that makes sense now i gotta admit the next issue This is the one I have the least recollection of for some reason. I feel like as a kid I never bought it. It was the Iron Man 99 Annual. Um, Because it's interesting because I don't I don't actually, I know I've read this. I know I read it not long ago, but I'm already forgetting it. But it's interesting that, you know, we have the Death Squad show up in one panel. We have, you know, Whiplash. We got everyone from kind of the first year and a half, which is kind of cool. They're all all coming back.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure on this issue if they just colored it strange or if the reproduction quality is kind of poor
0: it could be a little bit you know. of both
1: yeah it, it <laughs> looks to me like they like its the poor scan at the issue
0: uh it could be but it also could be like a different color than the one we're used to which is impacting the overall image yeah because some uh, of the
1: pages definitely look better than others
0: yeah like no the early way.
1: parts of the book are kind of weak
0: true it's not it's not a great issue anyway
1: no, it's not. Um, I think they resolve a couple plots from earlier in the book in it, but not plots that I was particularly interested in.
0: No, not at all. In fact, and who wrote this? This is yeah, this is by Joe Casey. So this is not even by our regular creative team.
1: Yeah, we had we had with the co-plotter credit, but I imagine he just said, you know, here's how you maybe resolve these sort of plot lines. Well, it's
0: interesting because you know, we get Count Nefaria here, and Count Nefaria would end up playing a huge role in a storyline maybe, what, a year or so later after this, uh, with the Thunderbolts and Avengers. So it's just interesting, because this, this version of the character doesn't even feel like that version of the character. Where hey, was that, is it
1: called the Nefaria Protocols? Is that what it is?
0: Yes. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what it was called.
1: Um, yeah, I remember that from the Thunderbolts collections.
0: Now, this is, again, a, a crossover for its day. We have uh, Invincible Iron Man 21, which is part of the eighth day, introducing Inferno. Oh,
1: this was... Another one of these. Well, I do like in the the Iron Man issue of the the I thought was really strong, especially in the beginning with uh, Bagley's art, where it's just Iron Man and Ms. Marvel sort of rescuing some people from a fire.
0: Mm-hmm. Although Bagley's art seems so different than what we're used to that it almost doesn't work. Like it's it's yeah, so stylistically different than Chen. Like they're both great. Don't get me wrong. I love Bagley, mm-hmm. but it just it plays off so differently.
1: It is a very different style, but I just, I, I love his stuff, but he's, every book he's done I've liked, he's consistent, he's good storytelling, it's just, and plus it, it develops more this sort of, the whole Ms. Marvel Iron Man plot, and does it in ten pages.
0: Yeah, and then we got a prologue to The Eighth Day, where we introduce Inferno, and then it leads us into, uh, what, Mighty Thor, which has a great cover with uh, Juggernaut and Thor. It is a nice cover. Yeah, but the storyline, the, the storyline the whole, like obviously it's it's included for a reason, um, but it's it doesn't feel that consequential.
1: No, but, but actually by the end, once you get to the large, double sized juggernaut issue of it, mm-hmm. I was sort of checked out in terms of the storyline.
0: Yeah, it it wasn't great, <laughs> and yeah, the I mean, and never, the arc goes crazy. Like there's pr- certain points which just don't look right.
1: Well, it becomes situation two, or even if it was okay, you know, I'm reading the Iron Man omnibus, and now I've got 50 pages of Juggernaut
0: comic. Yep. But, the good news is that when you get back to Iron Man, it's an awesome cover. (laughs) With Ultimo coming out of the water, you got Iron Man in a life, in like a dinghy. Um, Yep. It's it's a very compelling cover, because it instantly makes you think, what is going on? I need to find out.
1: Yeah, it looks beyond. He doesn't seem to even have an entire oar. It looks sort of like a half ore he's growing with.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like it's like it, maybe it got broken, and like he's just trying to struggling. Like it, but it's again, it's compelling. It looks great. Um, the coloring on it is fantastic. The the coloring on the armor during this period is so good, and uh, mm-hmm. this cover is no exception. I also miss the yeah. um the the font where it says Invincible Iron Man. Like again, it feels very out of the time, but I miss it.
1: It is. It's it's a. Uh... I think it works. A bit. Yeah, like you said, it's very '90s, but I think it works. It works well. It's still readable. Sometimes you could be you start doing fonts like this, and it becomes hard to even see what it is. But still, it clearly says Invincible Iron Man.
0: No, it's nice to have Ramiko back as well as Morgan. And what's interesting is this feels very much like a Bond comic meets a ridiculous, you know '90s comic. Where of course they've built this ship on top of Ultimo, <laughs> it's like really like like come on like again the where where is the secret bad guys lair you know like
1: mm-hmm.
0: it just very it's much... definitely like
1: on page one or two you know exactly where the story is going
0: well yeah and it's called ultimate mm-hmm. danger so okay mm-hmm. I I get this and then again you get through you know uh, uh, what a page and a half of of a reminder of exactly who Ultimo is
1: mm-hmm. which again which is helpful because.
0: I didn't know who he was. Well, exactly. Who knows who he is? So it's nice to kind of have these reminders. Uh, it's something that, again, they don't do in modern comics, but here it kind of works. And again, we got Carol drinking and saying, hey, let's go. And he decks her, which is very, like, it's still kind of, is jarring. Like, it's obviously effective and it's something that needed to happen. But when you watch Iron Man punch someone in the face, like, it's, it's brutal.
1: Yeah, it's a good panel, too, because the, the caption in there is him thinking, I hate this. Like, he doesn't want to, but you just, she's drunk. He can't
0: let someone with her powers fly around, mm-hmm. wasted. Well, and the way that Chen draws it is so, like, you know, you, you can tell that, that that took a lot. Like, that, it, he, there's so much in that, in that shot where you can tell how much force he's put into it. Uh, and, again, the gritting on his face, like, you, it, it matches the narration so well.
1: Although he does do, like, the, the classic, like, hey, look over there, and then punch her in the face. Yes,
0: he does, yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't you take care of that first? What? <laughs> but she's drunk.
1: Yeah. It works. I mean, plus, I mean, it's, it's a good thing, too, because, you know, he he's in a hurry. There's no time for him to deal with her right now, and he has to resolve this, and there's only one way to resolve it quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's it's pretty fantastic. And now uh, at the end, we have... Uh, Pepper and Tony kissing. What? We do. Which is again a little jarring given how they've developed that relationship throughout this series. Um, that, you know, these characters doing something that, you know, they probably shouldn't be doing. But I like that they immediately are like, Nope, this doesn't work. Mm. But Happy well, sees the, it.
1: right before he kisses Pepper, Ramiko's, I guess, walked out on him again. Exactly. Or she's walked out on Iron Man and told Iron Man to tell Tony that she's done with him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, which is, again, one of those things you can't do when Iron Man and Tony are well-known to be the same.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell him that he doesn't have to bother with
0: me anymore. Yep. Uh, And then, so in 24, first of all, it has the uh, 60 Years of Superheroes on the cover. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I
1: guess they're dating that back to, yes would it be dating this is 1999 when this came out probably
0: yeah so I guess they're dating it back to 39 I guess they yeah, would well, have been or... Marvel Comics number one
1: it could be uh, um the first not, appearance my, of my human torch my date's pre mm-hmm. Fantastic Four pretty weak
0: that's okay I'm pretty sure it's the first appearance of human torch so that, that works um again uh the first page very very good sh- like it's really well uh, illustrated is um Carol just you know really sloppily drinking that, that that alcohol
1: yeah she tilts it back it spills all over she starts tearing stuff up
0: yeah and like she was already drunk and now she's extra drunk and she's like and I, why does she like is that her jacket or his that she rips in half
1: I, i'm not sh- sure like she just seems to be mad at the jacket for some reason
0: yeah it's weird like she's just so pissed that she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna rip this in half
1: yeah, it's, I guess she's drunk and mad.
0: It's interesting uh, in the next page when Ultimo kind of comes to life, and you have Rumiko and Howard are knocked off uh, off the deck, and I guess she's grabbing on to Howard's leg, and still has time to get out her cell phone. She's like, hold <laughs> still, Morgan. Gotta call Tony. Really? Like, that's maybe not the best call. <laughs> and then again, we get Tony and Pepper having made out with.
1: It says millennials on their cell phones. Even when they're hanging for dear life, they can't put them away.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> now, the shot of Tony and Pepper kissing, its uh, it makes me laugh because like when he first kisses, you're okay, it looks like one thing. On this page, though, it looks so aggressive for these two people kissing and then being like, nah, that doesn't really work. I don't know if the body language that Chen draws really sells that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's a more intense, passionate kiss on this page than it, you see
0: in the prior issue. Yeah, and poor Happy Hogan. Like he's, yeah, you say, <laughs> He's pretty upset. An old pug. Yeah, <laughs> poor pug. And then, again, yeah, Carol comes to Tony's house and actually attacks him. Like, again, I like this stuff because it really shows... How dangerous it's all getting, and then the next page we have Tony running and getting the armor on. I love that shot of the armor kind of hovering over him and slowly coming on. Mm-hmm. See, if he'd only had this when he was all damaged, he wouldn't have had to get all twisted on the floor.
1: Exactly, wouldn't be laying around instead of saving the world.
0: Well, that's probably why he developed it, though.
1: <laughs>
0: next time I'm super damaged, I want to be able to get my armor on easily. <laughs> Um, now it looks like Ramiko and Howard are able to figure something out because the next time we see them, like she's properly like propped up against the side, holding on to like a rope or something or some sort of wire, and he even seems to be pretty safe. So they uh, were able to uh, fix their situation pretty well.
1: That's why you pull out that cell phone after you called Tony. You, uh...
0: <laughs> um, there is a shot of, of uh, Carol like kicking Tony Stark when he's in the Iron Man armor. It's it's a very classic, like, comic booky page, because you just see, like, the wham, so you don't even see the rest of his body except for his legs. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm wondering, like, how do you even illustrate that? And, it's, like, that's kind of a, just, like, a weird decision. It's effective, but it's, like, the anatomy looks so strange.
1: Well, yeah, Miss Marvel's leg, it looks... It looks like she's dislocated her hip.
0: It does. Like, that does not look comfortable.
1: No, it's, uh... And then we get the strongest.
0: uh, No, and then we get uh, Drunk Warbird helping Iron Man to write the uh, write this plane and get it landed. And it's interesting that it's that difficult for him to do, considering he's he's uh, strong enough in his armor to carry Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, it's uh,
1: it definitely seems like Iron Man's armor sometimes is his its strength is proportional to its needs.
0: Absolutely. Where
1: it's just strong enough to do whatever it is it has to do. But I thought this was one of these stronger, like a really strong moment in the whole Warbird, Ms. Marvel thing where Tony's like, this. the plane's crashing and people will die and it's, like, it's your fault because you were drunk and you were being a superhero.
0: Mm-hmm. And the fact that she can't deny it anymore. And like, yeah, yep. yeah it's powerful stuff.
1: Yeah, as so you can see that, you just endangered hundreds of lives because you did this.
0: No, it's... I mean, again, I'm such a huge fan of the of the Carol storyline, and yeah, it really kind of knocks it home just how big this is. And she's kind of like the, the co-star of these 25 issues. Like, she's in a lot of it. She gets a lot of space to... he almost, in some ways, um, music, develops her storyline almost more than his. Um, I'm not yeah. complaining cause I think it's really strong and really well done. But I mean, he obviously, especially in the first 12 issues has to deal with, you know, this conspiracy, the feeling of kind of being trapped and watched and then having to deal with his body kind of failing him, um, and having to kind of deal with that. But once he deals with that, he doesn't get as much development himself for the next like, you know, 10 issues. Whereas Carol really takes center stage. And then it really culminates here with her actually putting people at risk because of her alcohol.
1: I, th- I think you're right. It's, the, the back half of the book, the character arc really is this Marvel. Once, so you said once Iron Man resolves his whole "I'm the armor's killing me" type thing, he, yeah, he's he's still Iron Man, but there's no overarching personal conflict he's dealing with so much anymore.
0: And that brings us to uh, issue twenty-five, which has but uh, a, a bunch of different artists. Unfortunately, like it's not it's not all by the regular team, which is un, which is a real shame.
1: Yeah, they do the, the chapter one, chapter two, and they switch out the artists.
0: I mean, chapter one looks great because it's Chen, and then, it's so interesting, I'm actually a big fan of Tom Lyle. I really hated his work here, though.
1: Yeah, it's, it's probably the situations where when you're being in or something like this, it's probably because it's a time crunch. You're just not given the time you need to put in the quality of work you would expect to do.
0: True, but then the chapter the next chapter is by Bob Layton, and it looks fantastic. Like, he's a classic Iron Man artist, and his... I mean, maybe not fantastic, because there's a few things where, yeah, maybe it might be a little bit rushed, but it has more of a classic flavor to it.
1: Yeah. Well, the difference between a little bit Lyle's... Lyle's chapter is four pages long. Layton's is significantly longer. So I wonder if it's the case that those four pages were the ones just... No one had bothered to finish off yet. Oh, that's just true. pretty late in the stages.
0: That's a good point. It's interesting. Like, how do you even break this up? Like, if you know you're going to have... Many different artists. How do you even break it up by like chapters in any way that makes sense, and then you know, kind of give it up to different characters or different artists?
1: Yeah, I it seemed to me that it was broken up. The, the chapters were sort of slapped on later, almost.
0: Yeah, but it, you know, it's it, it's a good storyline in terms of how it's written. And what I like about the end again is that we have Carol and she, you know, goes to a meeting with Tony and admits that she's an alcoholic, and that's. Again, really strong ending to the story that Busiek was telling, that we we get the idea that, you know, things are never going to be easy for her, but at least she's taken the steps in a meaningful way. And I can't remember where we really saw her next. I feel like, you know, she eventually, you know, was more in the, I don't know, Jeff Johns, when he was writing The Avengers, she was there. Um, as Warbird, and kind of took on more of a, a role, I think, in the government or in a governmental agency. So obviously, they, they kind of pushed the character past where we left her here. But yeah, this felt incredibly earned, and it felt like a nice moment. And you know, you can read that and be like, okay, well, you know, things things will be okay for Carol now someday.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this like this is the one big piece of resolution you get from the omnibus itself is her story from beginning to end there. Like you have a lot of subplots that are like the Madam Master that are introduced in the book, never really anything's done with them in the book at all. But this is the one where it's sort of introduced in the book, carries through the book, and you get this big resolving moment at the end of the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, did you like after that issue? Did you like the Iron Age uh, two-parter?
1: I, I I expected not to, but I really did.
0: I was not a huge fan of the art, but I did I did like the story. It was kind of a nice, kind of different look at I, I, who Iron Man is.
1: It's definitely the kind of thing that, like you said before, be more useful back then than today, because it's definitely it's just recapping a lot of the early Iron Man stories. It's giving you sort of where these things took place in the old comics. Um, mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't be so useful today if you could just Wikipedia this, but um, there's some there's some good stuff. Like There's a... Uh, Like, Tony Stark, he's smacking a secretary on the butt, and they put a sound effect in. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it makes the sound pat.
0: (laughs) I mean, as as it would, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, In terms of extras in this book, we have uh, the black and white covers to to a bunch of the the first few issues, uh, and then the colorized versions as well. Uh, You get a nice kind of cover gallery of everything throughout the... The Omnibus, which is nice, because, uh, you know, actually, I don't expect them to do something like that, so I kind of like it. Um, you get another reproduction of what the uh, the main cover is. Um, there's an excerpt from Marvel Vision, back when that used to be a thing, which I did end up reading, and I actually really like that magazine. You also get a cover from uh, Wizard, which I think was the first issue of Wizard I actually started buying on a regular basis. Um, and so, some nice little extras. Uh, I wish that there had been some sort of, you know, interviews with uh, Busick or, or Perez, it's not Perez sorry Chen um, but you know that's, that's a missed opportunity but as you said there isn't a lot uh, by um, Kurt Busiek kind of talking about this era in terms of online interviews that kind of just makes me more and more curious about what was going on and what was it like putting it all together
1: well, even when I do find the interviews from at that time, they often focus on the Avengers more than Iron Man. It seemed like that's what people were really interested in. Between that and Avengers Forever, or when they were talking about that, it was Astro City, and there wasn't a lot of stuff specifically touching on Iron Man.
0: For sure. Now, this will be the last time, I believe, that we see Chen for a little while. Actually, am I right about that? Uh, no, I'm wrong. Sorry. Strike that. Uh, Chen has a few more issues in him before he leaves. Because um, he does the first few issues with uh, Joe Quesada And then we have a, a new artist Who I believe is Let me, Alitha Martinez And she's fantastic um, But that's something you can look forward to reading When you eventually pick up your trade Of uh, Iron Man by Joe Quesada And actually read that thing but, uh, Does Quesada ever draw an issue of Iron Man? No, he does some covers His, uh, his cover in particular I believe to issue 27 um, I've always found to be extremely extremely good like it's I'm pretty sure it's him um, yeah no definitely uh, it's got uh, Tony uh, in armor with his faceplate removed and there's a bottle of alcohol uh, in the frame which uh, which is Quesada brand um, but it's, uh, it's again it's, it's, it's good stuff I won't spoil anything about the story because if you don't know what's going on it's even better um, like that's what it, the way it's meant to be read uh, so I won't spoil it but it's definitely worth reading
1: it is a nice cover
0: of twenty-seven. Oh, uh, it's gorgeous! It's, yeah. it's it's so simple because it's set against a, a white background. It's not trying to do too much. It's you know it's much more effective because of the blank space.
1: Yeah, I'm not always a big fan of Casada's interiors, but I think his cover work has always been very strong.
0: Hmm. Well, again, he's he does some great job with the covers to this uh, particular book, uh, especially on the the cover to the trade. Um, which means more once you read it.
1: <laughs> uh, what, yeah, look at...
0: Go, go, go no, Go ahead, please. I was going to say, I've been looking at some of his covers
1: from, like, say, like he did the covers for Wolverine Origins, the Daniel Way book, and they're just really, really great images.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I agree with you, though. Sometimes his interiors don't quite, you know, measure up, but his covers are usually he's got a really great design sense and he kind of knows what works and he seems to work with some amazing colorists who really flush it out as well Mm -hmm. any final thoughts on this omnibus
1: Uh, it was interesting to read again because I had you know I I was an Iron Man fan but I really read nothing before sort of the movies had taken off Um, you know growing up I was an X-Men fan I was a Spider-Man fan even when I came back when I was in high school and started reading more books. I never, Iron Man was never a book I even considered really picking up until the movies. Um, so it was interesting to see sort of what that character was like, because I always heard from all the Iron Man fans that like, oh, this version isn't Iron Man. This isn't my Iron Man. This isn't what I'm used to. So it was fun to see what they were talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. No, very true. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, yeah, it's so different of a different time back before Tony was reinvented. And I don't know if we'll ever go back to this version of Tony, but it's nice to be able to, you know, pick up this collection, get a, com- you know, a complete sense of a story, um, to see a very different version of a character who's still the same but different. Very different. So if you,
1: had, if you had your way, would they go back to more of this style?
0: Um, I don't know, to be honest, because, I mean, we're so used to Tony being this thing now, right? Like, it's been ten years of this. I, I guess... I don't necessarily want Tony to be like this, like fully. But I think I don't want him to be as juvenile as they play him up to be. I think like Robert Downey Jr. His portrayal really skirts that line, and I think it's really easy to go too jokey, and that's what happens more often than not. Um, is and I think the same thing is, is true of Deadpool. Deadpool is a character that really works when it's it's funny, but it's not too silly. And a lot of writers, unfortunately, go too too far on the silly meter. So he just feels like he loses he he loses something as a credible threat or a credible character because you're playing up the humor too much. And I think the Tony is kind of the same. Um they play up his, you know, kind of again, his his RDJness, you know, too much. Um Fraction seemed to get it right. He seemed to understand how to make him like the movie like version of the character, but still enough like the comic book character we come to know that it didn't feel too different. Uh, subsequent writers I think they've not been able to do that as well
1: yeah i think as much as i, I think all the more movies are very good but i almost cringe when i watch them sometimes because i know you know the movies aren't always portraying the characters as we know them in the comics but i know whatever they show in the movies is going to leak back into the comics inevitably
0: mm-hmm. true I
1: mean, guardians of the galaxy are the ultimate example of that um you know they're just they're not what they were before the movie no not at
0: all yeah the minute they knew the movie was coming they completely transformed them um and i i appreciate the people love that it's just to me it's not the guardian well not that version of those characters that are in the guardians that i liked um but again like i've said before i can pick up my dna issues and read them and just read them on a loop
1: yeah you'll always have those they're not gonna they're not gonna rewrite those or Pull the omnibus out of your
0: hands. <laughs> well, exactly. Like a lot of people complain, like, "Oh, it's ruining this. It's ruining that." I'm like, "Yeah, but like, you still have those issues. If you can go back and read them, it's it's not quite the same because you don't get to read more of it. But you still those amazing stories you you responded to, you loved. You can still go back and read those. Yeah. And speaking yeah. of, I mean that that Nova run by Sean Chen was amazing.
1: Was he, was he the one who did the with DNA?
0: Yes. Uh, well, okay. he didn't do the first uh, Nova miniseries as part of Annihilation. DNA wrote it, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it was a different artist. I can't remember the artist now. I think it was was it Collins. I think it was someone else. But then the actual main series was by Chen, and, um, yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I would say maybe not quite as detailed as some of his Iron Man work, but still extremely good. Well, I know
1: with Nova, you weren't a fan of the most recent book um so i read that with some trepidation but i thought it worked out pretty well i know you weren't you didn't like the whole richard Ryder thing what they did with world mind
0: but it just didn't feel it didn't feel right but like you know what it is what it is it could have been a lot worse i admit that and also we could have just not gotten rich back so uh weighed against those options you know it could it could have been worse or it could have been nothing so i guess i'd rather have richard back in some way
1: yeah it's a little bit frustrating what happened with the whole ending of the um, Can'tsverse and all that because they had this great moment where Nova and Star-Lord go out as heroes and then the shenanigans they go through to bring them back never really worked very well.
0: No. Well, they kind of brought them back with not really thinking about how they were going to resolve it. Like Suddenly Bendis brings back um, uh, Star-Lord and Thanos doesn't, and then never really adequately explains it. And then when he finally gets around to it didn't feel right. And then we got this weird, you know, Richard coming back, and the Cancerverse, and it just, it could have been better. But now we've kind of moved past that, hopefully, and we can kind of embrace and enjoy the character, you know, just finding his way again. And hopefully that'll be better wherever that ends up taking place.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, not every story is going to be great, and you just got to move on, I guess, They're back. If if you just if you don't like the story that brought them back, you can just accept they're back, like you said. Move on with your life.
0: Yeah, I mean it is what it is, and you know that it, again, you can't complain about it forever. You can just move on, and it. I think sometimes
1: well, some people can.
0: <laughs> I, I I know. Well, it's interesting too. Like this, I've said before. Like um, sometimes you have a storyline which you know it has to put something back into place or put something back into motion and you may not like how it how it happens but you'll like what comes from it so like for that one more day was like that for me it's a storyline i i don't like but i can't fault the fact that it it got spider-man to a place where you got great creative teams on it um really being jazzed up and and bringing some great stories now whether or not those stories could have been told with a mary peter Parker is kind of a moot point but fact is we got a great era of spider-man that came out of something awful um so it was kind of like you know we went through the 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 horrible pain of childbirth but then we got this beautiful child um
1: i agree completely yeah uh,
0: now and that being said it the process of one more day was like a month and the process of getting richard rider kind of back to our universe and free of the cancer for stuff took like seven or eight years so it's a little bit different, but uh, you know, and a lot of weird stories that kind of came out of it. But at least we're finally there, and now we can kind of move on with our lives and enjoy it.
1: Well, were you a Sam Alexander fan?
0: I love Sam Alexander, which I never expected to be. I really went into that, uh, when he was first launched, I read the first few issues, and it was like, kind of like, I don't know. And then, I can't remember who wrote the second volume, I think it was Zeb Wells.
1: Zeb Wells,
0: yeah. And it was so good, and then I I was on from then, like, and I've really come to enjoy and love the character. Um haven't loved everything they've done with him, like the fact that he found his dad and then it wasn't actually his dad. I'm like
1: really Oh, I couldn't stand that either.
0: Like I was just like that it felt like we earned this and then they took it away for no reason. Uh mm-hmm. so, so that really bugged me. But other than that, like I've been a huge fan of Sam Alexander. I love him and um Miles Morales and Kamala Khan being this kind of the young Trinity of the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe, like they are the young characters. And when they're together, they just work off each other so brilliantly. So no, I, I'm actually a huge fan of Sam Alexander. I never expected to be, but I was.
1: Yeah, I love those three together. Champions has been one of my favorite books recently, Marvel's done. I thought it was just very entertaining, Absolutely, very strong.
0: So we've been chatting for a while, so we do need to uh, to bring it to a close. Any final, final thoughts on the sound of <laughs>
1: I mean, considering – let me see. I wonder what it's selling for today. Let me check real quick.
0: Is it still even in stock?
1: I'm sure it's out of stock, but secondary market prices are – yeah, it's good. So you can buy a new copy of it for – $50 Fifty dollars shipped in the U.S. and I would say for the amount of comics you're getting and for the quality, that's a pretty good price. Considering the list price is one twenty-five, you're getting it sixty percent off. That's pretty
0: yeah, good. that's not bad. I'm pretty sure when I when I bought it, it was uh, the Canadian dollars was going through a transitional period, which is a lot worse now um, in terms of what our prices are on Amazon now. Uh, but there was a time when I used to be able to get omnibuses for like seventy, and then it was like eighty-eight. And then now they're like 100, 140, depending on what they are. Uh, so I think I picked up Iron Man for like 88 or something. And I'm still happy with that. I mean, I was a huge fan, as I said, of the run when it first came out. And for me, it was like an instant pre-order. Like, I must have this on my shelf. Um, you know, It's easier to, to give it people to, to read. And um, you know, it's just easier than just having my singles. And again, the fact that it does come with those crossover issues, it does make it feel like a little bit more of a complete package. Um, yes, you don't necessarily need to read those crossovers, and in some cases, it just kind of gets in the way. You don't need to read this, you know, as you said, uh, you know, 50 pages of Juggernaut comics, but um, it does make you feel like you're not just getting a slice that doesn't have context. You are getting the full storyline, which is kind of a nice thing that, that they were able to do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think for the, the the it's a good book to have on the shelf, it's a good book to read, and I think the current value of it's very high in terms of what you're getting and what you're paying for i mean that's $50 for what you're getting here is a pretty good price
0: like how many pages is it do you have a page count somewhere
1: the page count is uh, a little over 1000 1024
0: yeah so that's that's a that's a good size omnibus mm mm-hmm. mhm like if you,
1: Yeah, if you, not quite. DC used it up to 1,500, so they're not quite there, but... Ugh,
0: that's, I mean, I think the biggest Marvel one I have is like 1,300, and that's, that's two. Although the, the, the paper's a lot thinner these days. The original run of omnibuses were a lot worse for that. They had really thick paper, and uh, like my Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1 is massive. It's so heavy, and it's big. But, I mean, its page count isn't that ridiculous. It's just it had heavier, thicker paper.
1: Yeah, that's how my Uncanny Volume 1 is. It's it's huge compared to 2 and 3, but it's not that many more pages really, but you said it's the thick paper. Mhm. Which I kind of like the bigger, more massive omnibus. I feel like if you get an omnibus, it should just be the biggest, heaviest, <laughs> most unwieldy thing possible.
0: Well, you definitely got that then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tim. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us, and I will make sure to have you on in the not-so-distant future to talk about uh, Iron Man by Joe Kosada because uh, it's a great place to, uh, to move on from uh, what we've talked about today.
1: Sounds good. Happy to do it. All
0: right. Thanks so much. No
1: problem.